Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney, and to those of you who have been listening to us and following us over the last five years or so as we co-hosted the HBO Boxing Podcast, welcome back. Uh, we are very happy indeed to be able to continue this journey, and thanks very much to Brian Daly, to Seth Nyman, and everyone at Showtime for stopping to pick up a couple of itinerant podcasting wastrels from the side of the road. Um, for those of you who are new to our particular brand of boxing podcasting, uh, welcome. And we hope you will enjoy our mix of previews and reviews, smooth segues, and awful jokes. There will also be uh, interviews, analysis, and occasional mentions of poker and polar bears. You should assume there's an Oxford comma in there, I think, actually, thinking about it. There's poker. And mentions of polar bears, not mentions right. of poker and polar bears. Uh, and the occasional love note to Liverpool Football Club and to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Philadelphia Flyers and the Philadelphia 76ers <laughs> and indeed the Philadelphia Phillies and perhaps Philly Fanatic for all I know. Sure. Um, and Grady will. And I was going to ask, yes, now that they're buddies and all. Um, <laughs> We will be podcasting weekly and also coming at you from Media Row uh, during Showtime Championship Boxing and pay-per-view events. Eric, it is nice to be back, and it's nice to be in this uh, fine-looking new home. Is it a new home, though? Is it, Kieran? <laughs> Let's level with everyone. We've actually been employed by Showtime all along. That's the truth. We were hired five years ago to take HBO down from the inside to start a boxing podcast so awful that it would drive HBO boxing out of business entirely. And I can't believe it, but it worked. We pulled it off. The greatest long con in boxing history. And it's a relief to finally be able to tell the truth. A weight has been lifted, wouldn't you say, Kieran? I guess initially the problem was we just weren't awful enough. But as time went on, we were able to crank up that dial. Yes. We eventually became quite outstanding at being awful. And now now we have to somehow figure out how to not be awful. It's, it's exactly. going to be a real challenge. So not only is this the premiere of uh, our new boxing podcast, uh, but it's also the start of a whole new Showtime podcast network. We are excited to be the first to roll out. But there's plenty more coming in the weeks and months ahead as Showtime is assembling a collection of top personalities across boxing and combat sports. In addition to Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, uh, which, by the way, they put the names in the correct order. All I had to do was slip daily a 20 to get that done. Uh, but in addition to us, Below the Belt with Brendan Schaub is part of the network. Showtime's blow-by-blow -blow man Mauro Ranallo will be hosting a pod. And From Brooklyn to the World with Polly Malinaji is getting rebooted. And there's more to follow. So... A lot of talent there, um, and us. Uh, but uh, we're excited to be a part of it. Uh, and I, I swear, we're not still HBO employees taking Showtime down from the inside. Or are we? <laughs> um, well, if we are, I'm, I'm not getting my paychecks anymore. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, all of those different podcasts that Eric mentioned, they'll each have their own focus and flavor. And here on this one, um, we'll be breaking down some of the boxing news around the world, uh, interviewing a guest or two, and also previewing and reviewing fight cards on Showtime and Showtime pay-per-view. And you know what, Eric? Let's get started on that last bit right now, shall we? Um, we are just a few days into the new year, but we already have three broadcasts firmly on the schedule on February 9th from Carson, California. What was once the Home Depot Center was then the StubHub Center and is now the Dignity Health Sports Park. And that's going to take some getting used to. <laughs> yep. um, we'll be hosting Showtime Championship Boxing, headlined by super featherweight action between titleist Javante Tank Davis 
and former world champ Abner Mares. A couple of weeks before that, on January 19th, from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, it is the return of the Pac-Man, Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao, taking on the mercurial but always dangerous Adrian the Problem Bronner. But before all of that, this Friday, January 11th in Shreveport, Louisiana, Showbox The New Generation returns with a triple header headlined by a pair of undefeated lightweights, Devin Haney and Sholasani and on Jenny. Yes, that fight card is our A block on this premiere episode of the podcast. Uh, the broadcast starts at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, and it really is in many ways the classic Showbox fight in the main event there. The, the mission statement for Showbox uh, since it started in 2001 was to take up-and-coming fighters and test them, put them in step-up fights, often mm. against other up-and-coming fighters. Uh, in Haney, we have, as you mentioned, a young undefeated guy, 20-0 and 0, with 13 knockouts, someone who's been attracting an increasing amount of attention and who is making his third straight appearance on Showbox. Viewers may remember him beating Mason Menard and Juan Carlos Burgos last year. And Haney is matched here against a fellow unbeaten boxer, and someone who could be a real wild card. Uh, Endonjeni has only fought once outside of his native South Africa, and that was in Corona, California, in a points victory over Juan Garcia Mendez. And it's not easy to find video of him online. Uh, a couple of fights on YouTube, but not a whole lot from his 25-fight career. But he's a very popular fighter in South Africa and won that country's Fighter of the Year award in 2017. He has very few names on his resume that American fans might recognize, but there is one that stands out. He beat former 130-pound titleist Mazonke Fana in 2015. Fana, it should be noted, though, was 41 years old at the time, and I speak from experience when I say that over 40 equals walk. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've got two guys in this main event with a combined 45-0 record, one of whom is being touted as a future star, and the other is looking to take his place in line. What do you make of this matchup, Kieran? Yeah, like you said, look, it is a great showbox matchup. Um, and it's a different kind of challenge for Haney from his previous two showbox outings, you know, because in Menard and Burgos, he had guys who'd been found wanting at the really highest reaches, right? But were good enough to at least dip their toes in those kind of waters. And he'll have gone into those meetings knowing somewhat what he was getting himself into and, and knowing the kind of yardsticks he was measuring himself against. Um, and he passed those tests. But, you know, he might look back and think, oh, there are maybe a couple of ways where I maybe could have passed them a little bit more clearly. I mean, he stopped Menard late, which was a very good performance. Um, but subsequently, his fellow prospect, Teofimo Lopez, has just blown Menard out. Yeah. Um, looked really impressive. Um, and he did win every round against Burgos on two judges' cards. Um, basically, he did to Burgos what Mikey Garcia did to Burgos a few years ago, which is no small achievement at all. But, you know, even despite that, he, he kind of got stuck in one gear a little bit toward the end, and there were even a smattering of boos. So I think he kind of knows he needs to step it up another notch here against Endon Jelly. But, you know, as you mentioned, this guy's a relatively unknown quantity. He is himself unbeaten, and, and he wants to prove that, He's the guy who should be looked at as the bright prospect. So, so yeah, it's certainly an intriguing matchup. Yeah, that you mentioned that that Teofimo Lopez uh, knockout. He was a lot of people's prospect of the year for 2018, yep. uh, and, and it's sort of that spectacular result on TV uh, against a, a respected opponent that has thus far eluded Haney. So, yeah, something for him to shoot for here. Yeah, I mean, you know, that said, you know, Haney, I think also did get a prospect of the year nod from from boxing scene as well, and was on a lot of people's. Okay. 
people's lists. But yeah, I think Lopez was most people's um, by by no question there. And he is clearly, despite everything, he's the A-side here, isn't he? Yep. Look, let's be honest. He's the one with a sparkling amateur record, uh, 130 and 8. Um, he had two victories as an amateur over Ryan Garcia, yet another much-hyped prospect. Um, Haney was so precocious, he turned pro at 17. Um, he has pedigree. Uh, he's trained not just by his father, but at times also by Mike McCallum, by Floyd Mayweather Sr. Um, and he's precocious in a business sense, too. He's already got his own promotional company. So, look, this is a young man who's clearly being groomed for success and who clearly thinks he's destined for success. Um, so what do you think, Eric? Like, how high do you think his ceiling is and, and just how big of a star can he be? Not just inside the ring, but also outside of it. Well, you mentioned the the promotional banner. This fight card is being promoted by Devin Haney Promotions, too. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how much of the promotional work he himself is doing. Uh, but the fact that he has a promotional company at age 20, it speaks to the advanced maturity that Haney exhibits. That's a key, I think, to how big a star he can be. Uh, Showtime put up a special video online of a, a day in camp yeah. with Devin Haney. It's called simply Day in Camp, if anyone is looking for it on YouTube. And it's obvious from watching it that this is a 20-year-old who has his stuff together. Uh, we'll be talking a lot next week about Adrian Broner, a talented fighter who hasn't had the maturity to make the most of mm -hmm. that talent, who didn't have his stuff together in his early 20s. Uh, and we'll discuss next week whether he's maturing or getting it together now at age 29. But Haney, I look at him... And I see a guy who, because of his maturity and poise and having the right people around him, seems almost certain to live up to his potential, whatever that potential is. I can't quite tell about the star power yet, though. Mm. Um, he's a little bit quiet. He has a certain charisma just in his smile and his self-confidence, but he has to work on being more quotable. Uh, then again, Oscar De La Hoya became the biggest star in the sport by being able to fight, being handsome having an engaging <laughs> smile, and almost never saying anything interesting. Uh, so the, the ceiling, I think, is high for Haney. Um, and you have to like what you see from him as a boxer. Obvious speed and athleticism. He can be slick or he can be explosive. The power is still developing. Uh, but at this stage, uh, age 20 through 20 fights, he seems to have all the tools. And he's been stepping up the opposition since making his showbox debut. Menard was a test. Burgos was a test. Do you think Ndangeni is his toughest test yet? Well, it's hard to say, to be honest, uh, simply because, as you mentioned earlier, we uh, we know so little about Ndangeni. Um, on paper, you can maybe argue that his biggest test so far was his last fight, uh, Burgos, uh, mm -hmm. even, even including this coming up uh, fight on Friday. Um, you know, that was a guy who who drew with Rocky Martinez, who went up against Mikey Garcia, and whose wins include names who are more recognizable to us, uh, guys like Frankie Archuleta and Cristobal Cruz. But because they're better known to us, it doesn't necessarily make those opponents better than some of the opponents on Anton Jenny's ledger. Um, I think the key element here is that this is a guy he hasn't lost yet. And so, as they say, he doesn't know how to lose. And so, even if he doesn't prove in the end to be the most skilled or most talented opponent Haney has yet faced. It's an important step along his developmental road. Uh, it's that little known, potentially extremely dangerous, unbeaten foe. That's someone you've really got to always face at some point as you're moving up the ladder. And that's what he's going to be doing on Friday. Yeah. And, and that's really a cornerstone of the showbox approach uh, it yeah. is taking these guys like a Haney who everybody who's hot is high on and put him in against somebody who might be really dangerous. As you said, we, it's hard to know for sure with Endon Jenny, uh, but this fight 
is likely to prove something one way or another about both guys, really. Yeah. Uh, and we also have two undercard fights. Uh, in the opener, it's heavyweight action as undefeated Cuban Frank Sanchez takes on once beaten Willie Jake Jr. over eight rounds, Eric. Yep. Uh, Sanchez comes in at 10 and 0 with eight knockouts uh, and Jake is eight, one and one with just two knockouts. Uh, Sanchez, interestingly, is managed by former referee Richard Steele. Uh, mm. That that sound you hear in the background right now is the obligatory boo coming from our Nevada based <laughs> listeners whenever they hear Steele's name. Uh, let's get way off topic for like 15 seconds, Kieran. Good or bad stoppage in Chavez Taylor one. I go back. Honestly, every time I look at it, I still go back and forth on it. And I know it's in. Everybody's supposed to have an incredibly firm opinion one yes, way or the you other. <laughs> I don't. I just don't. I see I see the case either way. I and you look at what's happened to Meldrick Taylor and you think, oh, maybe it was maybe it was not such a bad decision. I don't know. Yourself? <laughs> you suck at hot takes, Kieran. I that's, know. that's my hot take. I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um I actually, I mean, I, I agree with you that I can see either side, but when all is said and done, he should not be criticized for the fact that there were two seconds on the clock. That is not Steele's responsibility to care about that. Um, but I do think uh, he had to know uh, that that Taylor uh, was leading in the fight, or at least right there in the fight, uh, enough to, in my opinion, give him a chance to come forward and see what happens. Uh, but So all in all, I fall on the side of bad stoppage, but I, like you, I totally get why Steele stopped it. Well, look at us with our just incredibly controversial opinions. We're really <laughs> kicking this off very well. That's we? what we do. That's what we yeah. do. All right, yeah. let's get back to Sanchez. Um, there you go. He, he had an extensive amateur career going 204 and 10. Uh, he mostly fought at 201 pounds in the amateurs, uh, and his pro career has seen him fight in the low 200s, around 210 in that range. But he's tall. He's six foot four. He's expected to maybe bulk up. Uh, keep an eye on the weigh-in for this fight uh, on Thursday at the weigh-in. See uh, see what he comes in at. Um, but Sanchez is being moved carefully as a pro. He's had just one fight so far against an opponent with a winning record. But there's re- reportedly real interest among promoters in seeing what he can do. Uh, Jake, meanwhile, is the least showboxy fighter on this card. He's 35 <laughs> years old. He turned to boxing relatively late after being primarily a football player. But he did win bronze at the National Golden Gloves in 2012. He hasn't yet been past six rounds, but his only loss was against Jermaine Franklin, uh, who beat Jake when uh, when Willie was only 2-0 and uh, who has since approved to 17-0 and become a legitimate heavyweight prospect. So no shame in that loss. So the opener offers uh, some real intrigue. Uh, on paper, it's Sanchez's toughest test as a pro. Yeah. And uh, in the co-main event, uh, Ruben Villa, who is 14-0 with five knockouts, takes on Ruben Cervera. So I'm going for Ruben in this fight. Cervera <laughs> uh, is uh, 10-0 with nine knockouts, and that's in featherweight action. Um, yeah, and, and, and Kieran, uh, do you know what you call it uh, when these two guys get in a clinch and, and the ref steps in between them to break it up? Oh, dear. <laughs> a Ruben sandwich. A sandwich, yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew <laughs> you, that was... I just couldn't bring myself to say it. You promised bad jokes at the top of the podcast. I, I had I had to deliver. I did. I think the word I used was awful. <laughs> okay, well, that qualifies. <laughs> That's indeed. Horrendous. Um, horrendous. Bust out your thesar- thesaurus and find whatever word you want. <laughs> indeed. Um, moving on. Uh, Via is another guy uh, with a stellar amateur pedigree. He has a pair of victories over Shakur Stevenson in the unpaid ranks, uh, although Stevenson did beat him in the Olympic trials. And he also has a victory uh, over our main eventer, Devin Haney, in the amateurs. Uh, He's making his showbox debut and indeed his TV debut. 
And as you can probably tell from his record, uh, with just those five knockouts, he is a boxer more than a banger. He looks to work angles and figure his opponent out. Um, he was scheduled to meet Carlos Vidal. And had that happened, we would have been spared that joke. Um, Vidal is promoted <laughs> by Vander Holyfield, by the way. But uh, Vidal pulled out, citing a shoulder injury to be replaced by Colombia's Severa. Uh, Severa was 148-6 and six as an amateur. So we've got a lot of really good guys with really good amateur records on this uh, card. Uh, he was a three-time Colombian champion. Despite being a late replacement, he's reportedly fighting fit, as he was apparently in training for a couple bouts that fell through, uh, just like us, always fighting fit and ready to be <laughs> ready to podcast at a moment's notice. Um, it's always risky business fighting a late unknown replacement, so Villa will certainly need those skills and that caution and those fundamentals to avoid becoming unstuck against Severa. Yeah, the the unknown Colombians, always potential danger yes. there. Second only perhaps to the unknown Argentines in, in those particular right. rankings. Exactly. Okay, here we go. It's prediction time. Uh, it's a case of new podcast, new prediction format. We're going to spice things up a little bit um, by mm -hmm. using a point system for our predictions. And we'll keep a running tally over the year. So I'm sure we'll each end up with about two points. <laughs> uh, picking the correct winner is worth one point. Uh, correctly predicting a decision or a KO is worth another point. If it's a decision, if you get the right type of decision, unanimous split or majority, that's a further point. And if it's a KO and you not only predict the KO, but the actual round, you score yourself fully three bonus points. Uh, if the fa last five years are anything to go by, all of this it will be largely irrelevant because Eric and I will wind up with exactly the same <laughs> score. But, you know, new year, new hope and all of that, eh? Um, exactly. We will take turns uh, from week to week as to who makes the initial prediction. But this time, Eric, you're up first. So how do you see this main event going? Well, let me just say about the scoring system that, you know, we're, we're sort of throwing stuff at the wall here and seeing what sticks in terms of the right. points that we're assigning. Uh, I think, you know, it's a bit experimental, but I think that calling the exact round of the KO is approximately three times as hard as calling yeah. the type of, of decision. So I think it's a fair That's scoring fair. system, but, yep. you know, we'll see. And it'll be interesting to see also uh, as how strategies develop as this uh, goes on. If it turns out that it's a lot easier to predict the type of decision than it is to get the round of the knockout, maybe we'll start predicting a decision in fights that we don't really believe will go the distance just because it's the safer bet. A lot of strategy to uh, keep track of here. And for now, by the way, uh, I should say that uh, just Bragging rights are at stake in this little competition, um, but I think we should talk to our new bosses uh, about a prize for the winner. You know, maybe a, a penthouse suite for the first boxing trip of 2020, something like that. We'll workshop it. Um, or okay. punishment for the loser. Uh, you know, on, on my old Ring Theory podcast, we used to do that where the loser in the picks competition had to suffer some sort of humiliation or punishment. Um, so I've been through that, and it is fun for the listeners. But for us, <laughs> I like the idea of a reward for winning. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as you said, I'm making the first prediction uh, this time around. Uh, and, you know, Endon Jenny can fight. Uh, he's not as slick and fluid as Haney, uh, but from what I was able to see of him, he knows what he's doing in there. He can be awkward. He's a very live B-side. If Haney knocks him out, that will make a statement. I'll be impressed uh, because my prediction is Haney by unanimous decision in a tough fight, but he'll win and he'll deserve it. So we're uh, continuing along a previous path. I can say that in advance. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised with this fight. I think it's yeah. a fairly obvious pick that, that I made and that it sounds like you're about to make. Yeah. So as you know, I ordered a scouting report on End on Jenny from our Showtime Boxing podcast, Johannesburg Bureau. And what foresight it was for us to open <laughs> that bureau first. Yes. Um, and so what I got back is that 
he's an average puncher, but this word keeps coming up from what we look at him on video and, and from what I heard. Uh, awkward. He is awkward. Um, he can cuff his shots a bit. Uh, but he does always come in shape, and he is solid. But the one thing that, that I was told, um, and this, is, I think, is a real danger sign, is that no matter how much he's coached out of it, he naturally drops his jab hand repeatedly. And if he does that against Haney, he's going to be in trouble because you don't want to be vulnerable to a right-hand counter against this kid because um, one strength that he undoubtedly does have, Devin Haney, is he has a fast, sharp, and accurate right hand. So I could see this being a bit sloppy and ugly early as these two guys figure each other out. Maybe a bit of mauling, a bit of falling into each other, but I do expect Haney to start dialing in that right hand by about the third or fourth round. Um, a few rounds of that might be enough to dissuade Endon Jelly from throwing the jab much at all. Um, maybe he'll keep that left hand higher, but if he does... And he can also work to the body pretty well, which you'd expect, given that one of his trainers is Mike McCallum. You'd hope he could work the body pretty well. Um, I think Charlissani may edge a couple of those early rounds, but by the end, it'll be all Haney. Um, Haney doesn't sit down on his punches real well yet. Um, and Endon Jelly, as we said, does look solid. So, yes, I think this is a unanimous decision, a 97, 93, 98, 92 type decision in the end for Devin Haney. New network, same Raskin and Mulvaney. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, uh, that brings us to the end of our A block on the pod, but uh, there's still plenty of podcasts left because one thing that's going to differentiate the Showtime podcast from the old HBO podcast, uh, besides the fact that I'll be trading in all Game of Thrones references for Escape at Danamora references. Uh, did you watch Escape at Danamora, by the way? No, I was uh, far too busy watching um, Billions and uh, <laughs> Shameless and Ray Donovan. Good, good. Okay, so you did some binging. Well, uh, yes. I'll note that uh, Escape at Danamora is fantastic. Uh, and that's not just the uh, shameless company shill in me talking, although I am shameless. And uh, speaking of which, to echo you, watch Shameless, Sunday nights on Showtime. Uh, anyway, uh, where were we? Uh, I, <laughs> I think we were talking about something boxing related, yes? Uh, Possibly. Right. Uh, so uh, one thing that's going to differentiate this podcast from our old one is that we'll spend a little time every week talking about the boxing world as a whole, not just limiting ourselves to Showtime's corner of that world. Uh, so we'll talk about other fights scheduled for a given week, uh, some breaking news, etc. And we have a handful of news items to discuss this week. Uh, but before we dig into those, uh, just a few days ago, we turned the calendar to 2019. And you and I obviously didn't get the opportunity to do a year in review right. podcast in our previous gig. Uh, so let's take a moment to reflect on 2018. Uh, Kieran, what kind of highlights uh, leapt out at you from the year in boxing so i think for me one of the stories of 2018 um was that it was the year i think in which alexander usik really put it together um moved from contender with real legitimate potential to champion to really i think now top level pound for pound entrant he, he proved i think that he's everything that we thought he might prove to be um he had an absolutely outstanding year and and you talked about you know Tiafimo Lopez being generally the consensus prospect of the year I think Usyk is pretty much the consensus fighter of the year mm -hmm. um I, I suspect the BWAA will give him that nod when, when voting's tallied um uh, what else from last year? We did see his buddy Vasily Lomachenko in a real fight for once yep. um, before he overcame Jorge Linares. But even then, as it turned out, he was in a tough fight. It turned out he was doing that one-handed as he had a shoulder injury that required surgery. Um, you and I were ringside for the second installment of Gennady Golovkin-Canelo Alvarez, and that was sort of the dominant story 
for much of the year, wasn't it? With the on again, off again, on again, and, and then the fight itself. But I also think one of the interesting themes of last year was the series of outstanding heavyweight fights we were treated to. You know, we've, we've heard so long, we say it so much that as the heavyweight division goes, so goes boxing. And you know, the, the division's sort of been coming to life over the last couple of years. And then, and then last year we had you know, Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz was fantastic. And Wilder Tyson Fury was fantastic. And I'll be honest, I never expected that to be an enthralling fight. And yeah. there was no way I could ever have predicted that Tyson Fury would, would channel The Undertaker uh, the way he did there in what was probably the most meme-worthy moment in boxing in all, in all of last year, I would say. Yep, uh, I have a, a column running in the next issue of Ringside Seat magazine where I focus on the heavyweight revival with those two wilder fights at the center of it. Uh, the heavyweight division is, dare I say it, fun again uh and almost every combination of top fighters excites me uh, fury can still be hit and miss in terms of entertainment i'm not so sure joseph parker is capable of being in a great fight but the rest mm. of them everyone yep. else in the top 10 makes fun fights uh and now we have Usyk entering that mix uh, yeah. to, to tie your two plot lines together there he's calling out the likes of Luis Ortiz and Alexander Povetkin for his next fight. Uh, Usyk ain't playing here. Um, like you said, Usyk is really the only choice for 2018 Fighter of the Year. But Fight of the Year was less clear. Both ESPN and Sporting News gave the nod to a Showtime fight, uh, the April 7th junior middleweight battle between Jarrett Hurd and Arislandi Lara, which Hurd won by split decision after scoring a pivotal 12th-round knockdown. Huge credit to Hurd for making... Uh, fight of the year level fight against Eris Landy Lara, yeah. who is not always uh, so gaddy like, shall we say. But uh, now I'm going to show that I'm not always a shameless company man. Uh, it wasn't my pick for fight of the year. Um, and maybe I'm being swayed by the difference between being at a fight live versus seeing it on TV. But the Canelo Golovkin rematch was something special. The, the combined ability level in the ring was higher than any other fight in 2018. You had two top five pound for pounders and they went at it with skill and savagery. When the magnitude of the event is that high and the fight is that good, it gets my vote for fight of the year. Although I'm certainly not denying the case for her, Lara. Uh, what was your pick? <laughs> um, uh, it's unbelievable. I know it's what like, that laugh means. You, you've been reading my notes. Um, <laughs> I actually did quite like Herd Lara for fight of the year. And I liked uh, Murat Gassiev against Dortikos for a very similar reason, right? Mm -hmm. Because that the, that final 12th round uh, uh, excitement, uh, I think, pushed both of them sort of over the edge there. But I, I was also partial as I have written here, to a couple of fights simply for being there. Yep. Um, and it does make a difference when you're ringside. You do get that much more of an atmosphere. One of them was uh, Strissa Ketsurung Visay against Juan Francisco Estrada, which yeah, was tremendous action atop the, the Superfly 2 card. And of course, yes, as you said, Canelo Gennady Golovkin. And again, in my notes, I have put probably in terms of sustained quality and combined ability was the best fight of the year. Um <laughs> Honestly, uh, even it, even if it didn't quite have the same kind of, you, you know, and your Jim Ross impersonation is better than mine. It didn't quite have the, oh, my God, moments that, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, that, that the others had at the end. They're just from beginning to end, just that being on the edge of your seat and just wondering what was going to happen next. And, and the fact that it was a complete mirror image of the first fight was absolutely fascinating as well. And that once again, it was razor thin. So I did like Herd Lara. I did like Gassiev Dortikos. I did like Srisiket and Estrada. But yeah, I did like Canelo Golovkin. And I was there. Plus, 
To follow on from your initial joke, I got to be a part of the pay-per-view broadcast and thus help kill HBO pay-per-view forever. <laughs> Good work. Yes, the, the final the final stab wound that, uh, that, that did it. Uh, you know what? Just so that we don't agree on everything, I'm just going to change my pick. Now that I know yours, I'm going with Herd Lara. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm back to Canelo Golovkin. Oh, so instead of looking back for a bit, let's look ahead, shall we? Um, to finish off, uh, we've got a couple of rumors of upcoming fights. And uh, and we also have a matchup that is far from a rumor. It's actually, in fact, just around the corner, Eric. Yeah, a few noteworthy items to hit on here. And uh, first, uh, there's the one you just alluded to. There's one other live fight card on TV this coming weekend besides the Showbox show. It's Sunday, January 13th on Fox Sports 1. Really interesting super middleweight main event. Caleb Plant challenges for his first alphabet belt against Jose Uzcategui. Shout out to our friend Brian Campbell, uh, who hosted yep. the face-to-face special for this fight. Even though this is we're only one episode into the podcast, I don't think it's too soon to call Brian a friend of the pod. I think, uh, Indeed. I think I'm safe for that. So um, Uzcategui struck me as by far the more confident of the two when they were staring each other down, for whatever that's worth. Um, you know that I'm a gambling guy by day, Kieran. Plant is listed as a two-to-one underdog here. What do you think of this fight and those odds? Um, well, you're much better at the whole odds thing than me. It seems a smidgen unfair to Plant, who's a pretty live dog in my in my opinion. But you do have to go with uh, Uskadagi being the favorite. Uh, he is the man with experience. He's been consistently up against the higher level of opposition. His only sort of real loss was on points to Matt Korobov back when Korobov was threatening to be something. And, and I think Korobov actually has rebuilt his reputation yeah. a bit uh, with that loss to uh, to Charlo. I mean, it was competitive. Um, and then the other mark on his ledger is that really weird disqualification against Andre Durrell that descended into complete chaos and yep. farce and goodness only knows what else uh, the MGM National Harbor. And, and then, of course, he comprehensively removed any doubt about that matchup by positively whomping Darrell in the rematch. So um, I, I, the odds might be a little generous, but I don't know if they're so generous that I'd be willing to take a punt on plan. I do think it's a good matchup and it's a competitive matchup, but I do think Uskategi has to be the favorite here. Got to note that uh, boxing super middleweight division is positively overrun with Caleb's these days. You have plant, you have Truax. That's a lot of Caleb's at once. That's it. That's... Um, this is a good fight. Um, I got to meet Plant and work one of his early fights on a, a PBC undercard a couple of years ago. He's an engaging guy. He's a good fighter, but he's not a puncher. Uh, the knockouts have mostly stopped since he moved up to world-class-ish competition. And I do think he's in maybe just slightly over his head here with Uskatagi. Uh, maybe he'll prove me wrong, but um, I reached the same conclusion as you about the betting odds that they're just about in the right spot to kind of keep me away from either side of, of betting yeah. this fight. Um, you also mentioned uh, rumors. Uh, indeed, the juicy rumor right now, and maybe it's more than a rumor, but it's not officially announced yet at least, Terrence Crawford versus Amir Khan is reportedly on the table for April 20th. Does this fight excite you, or are you already nervously bracing for another brutal Khan knockout loss? So it may not be the most popular opinion or the most trendy opinion to have in boxing circles, but I like Amir Khan. I like him as a guy. I like him as a fighter. Um, When everything clicks, his strengths are enough to give anybody a hard time. Um, He always comes to fight. He's always in shape. Um, As we know, he's fast. And he's brave. And therein lies the problem, of course, with Aramir. <laughs> he's too brave for his own good. And yeah, he's got a dodgy chin, but that's accentuated also by there's these technical flaws in his 
game that he's just never eradicated. Um, he always seems to throw one punch too many, he stays in range that beat too long at the end of a combination, and that's what gets him in trouble. Um, he absolutely has the ability to give Crawford some, some awkward moments, but look, Terrence is very, very special. Um, and in as much as he ever struggles with anyone, it's with guys who have fast feet as well as fast hands, and I don't know that Amir still has that. Um, I think this is a great fight for Crawford to take right now while he's waiting for that welterweight division to open up, while he's waiting to see, you know, who he can fight and, and looking to see what kind of cross-promotional opportunities there are. I think it's a fun fight. That said, I mean, you're still going to get knocked out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think we all know how this one ends. Um, but yeah, you have to say this for Khan. He's never in a bad fight. Um, there, there was a time like five years ago when I was begging for Khan versus Victor Ortiz. That was like the ultimate oh, can't miss fight between deeply flawed, big name fighters. Right. Um, and that's what Khan still is at age 32, a deeply flawed, big name fighter who's dangerous, who's quicker than almost everyone he faces. That might even include Crawford. I don't know. Um, but yeah, you use the word special to describe Terrence Crawford. I think that word absolutely applies. Uh, Khan's chin is still Khan's chin. We pretty much know what we're getting here. Yeah. Uh, and last item on the podcast today, uh, episode one of All Access, Pacquiao versus Broner, aired this past Friday night on Showtime. Two big personalities on display. We'll have plenty more to say about this fight next week, but for now, uh, Manny made some headlines uh, a few days ago by saying he's looking for the knockout against Broner. We've heard that song and dance before. <laughs> Which do you believe more, Kieran, uh, that Manny is going for the knockout or that Broner has matured and turned over a new leaf? <laughs> um, okay, let me put it like this. Um, I believe that Manny probably will look to knock out Broner if he possibly can. Um, whether Fred Sternberg, I mean, whether Manny says so publicly himself <laughs> or not. Um and, and, you know, and hey, why wouldn't he? Look, obviously, his stoppage of Lucas Matisse was his first inside the distance win, amazingly, since Miguel Cotto in November 2009. And the most amazing thing about that is that that was back in November 2009. I remember being there as if it were yesterday, but it wasn't. Um, <laughs> you know, but if you can get a dangerous guy like Bronner out of there, you're going to look to do it if you can do so without making yourself vulnerable. Um, it doesn't mean that I believe he'll get the KO, but I'm not saying I don't believe it because we haven't done the prediction yet. We've got to wait till <laughs> next week. Um, yeah. But would he look for it if it's there? Yes, I believe that. Um, as for the comparative levels of belief, I believe it is entirely possible that Adrian Bronner believes he has matured. Okay. Uh, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> a good non-answer answer. A good non-answer answer. Um, and the word is that he has been training really diligently for this fight, um, fully aware of what it can mean for his career, um, his perception, his opportunities, and what's important to him, his money-making potential. But he's still Adrian Bronner. And we can all read the headlines. And we, so we know how these last couple of weeks have been. So I guess, Eric, I would respond to both claims with a wry smile a jaunty cocked head and a we shall see okay uh for me in terms of this whole comparative believability thing i'll take door three that chris Ariola is in shape this time 
Um, but Pacquiao is coming off a rare knockout win against Lucas Matisse. So I, I guess that gives his claim uh, that he's coming for the knockout a little more credence this time. Uh, but uh, Broner has never been knocked out. It's a big ask. Uh, so yeah. many plot lines to explore in this fight. Uh, we're going to be the can men next week because anyone can fill several podcast episodes talking about <laughs> Pacquiao and Broner. It's Pac-Man versus can man. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Nice. And yes, hopefully we will indeed uh, be able to do that. And this debut episode of the podcast will not be the finale episode of the podcast. With all these, <laughs> Fingers crossed. With all these blazing hot takes that we've had. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we're going to get picked up from our pilot here. And that will do it for this, our debut episode. Uh, as Eric mentioned, we will be back next week um, with a review of uh, the Showbox card, as well as our first looks ahead to the aforementioned clash between Manny Pacquiao and Adrian Bronner. Eric already mentioned All Access, and your collective homework assignment in advance of next week is to watch episode two, which will premiere immediately prior to Showbox on January 11th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. And... Beginning Wednesday the 16th, look out for All Access Daily, a series of digital features available each day on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel and the Showtime Boxing Facebook page. Until then, this has been Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Thanks very much for listening.